0: It was really emotional because I had all this like built up energy around it. And then when it happened, it was this feeling of just like, I don't think it was accomplishment. I think it was just like, yeah, okay, good. Like that's what I'm meant to do in my lifetime as an artist is, is kind of like bring my family into spaces that they're not necessarily allowed into or like invited.
1: You're listening to Seamside, where we explore the inner work of textiles. I'm your host, Zach Foster, and each episode I sit down and sew with a different artist, and we talk about what working with cloth has taught us about being human. I hope you enjoy. Okay, y'all, now this review from Maybe Mitchell is something else. Headline, Zach is the Brene Brown of textiles. (laughs) I don't know about that, Maybe Mitchell, but I do appreciate the kind words. Maybe goes on to say... Zach's gift is not only his talent and the art he produces, but his humanity and how he is able to authentically connect with others. The discussion of the process of creating art and navigating life is equally important. I love that. Thank you so much for that comment, y'all. If you got a review, you got something you can share with the world, I sure would appreciate it. It's the best way for folks to find out about the magic that's happening right here on Seamtime. Before we jump into this conversation, just a quick word of thanks to the good folks over at the Quilty Nook. Without your support and encouragement, projects like this wouldn't be possible. Can y'all believe Season 1 of Seamside is already coming to a close? I'm going to take a short break for the summer after this conversation, but I will be using the time to retool and plan some big new things for Season 2. I hope you'll stick around. Now Nick Dornelis makes life-size screen prints of daily moments with his family around home. He then cuts them up, the screen prints that is, into thin little strips and weaves them back together, distorting the original image, both sharing it with the public but also reserving a certain degree of privacy of home. This conversation you're about to hear with Nick Dornelis is both tender and thoughtful. You're going to hear him mention the word moray that I had never heard of and I should have asked him but here goes. So when you hear it, you'll know. Moray is a combination of patterns that produces some kind of Ripley effect. It's kind of an optical illusion in that way. So listen out for Moray and you'll know what he's talking about. Okay. And with that, on to the show. Hi, Nick. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm feeling real good. It's a beautiful Saturday. The birds are singing. What more can you want?
0: I wouldn't know. I have like no sense of outside space because my studio is in a basement and I also live in a tiny basement apartment. So windows are super limited in my life, but I don't know, that motif is
1: really interesting to me. Is that where you are right now in your studio? Yeah. In the basement?
0: Yeah. So I'm in Jersey city, New Jersey. I actually just signed a lease to my very own studio and congratulations thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. And it's a 250 square foot white cube, essentially, and all my boxes are like in a corner and I'm slowly unpacking, but also trying to understand like how, how I register space as an artist. Yeah, I definitely think like space is such an intimate thing for me and, and the way in which you register space is super important. I kind of want to have like my best first version of how I articulate my studio. So I've just been like unpacking super slow.
1: slow and intentional it sounds like yeah definitely well I'm sure you'll tell us more about that because that sounds like a pretty big deal but I'm wondering what you're sewing on right now okay
0: so I actually thought a lot about this prompt of bringing something to sew while we had a conversation and from the last piece that I made sewing was kind of a hurdle for me I used a sewing machine and I think that was my like introduction to sewing and It's kind of like driving, where you have to understand how to use the paddle and have that be, I don't know, like in sync with your body and how you move your hand. And hand sewing, has I just kind of like jumped over that. So I'm kind of trying to get myself to go back a little bit and undo the whole machine sewing thoughts. So I brought a whole bunch of different materials, like Do you know the the pattern that you put under furniture that has like crazy patterns on them? They're like made of rubber.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) So I'm kind of obsessed with those things because they're, they're like a mesh. I do a lot of screen printing, so they remind me of like window shades or blinds. So I brought some of that. Then I put it on top of some fabric, brought some embroidery thread and some regular thread. So I'm kind of just like creating some sort of abstracted patch of some sort. But I'm thinking about later on in my practice, maybe put in a screen printed image down and then add in layers on top and maybe seeing how sewing could be reinvited into the conversation. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of making like a sample swatch for my own index, if you will.
1: I love it. And that we can be here for that. Okay, yeah. This is a beautiful moment. That's a beautiful moment. Earlier before we started recording you mentioned that you were having a a healing relationship with hand sewing. None of that was a sweet comment. Yeah. I don't know.
0: I think that I think that when we think about sewing, the word craft automatically comes up and I I do think that I'm trying to undo a lot of thoughts that I that I was around when I was a student in undergrad and and the word craft or like textile was always associated with like, form and function and not necessarily being a part of, like, art conversation. And hand sewing just was always so intimate. I mean, growing up, I grew up in Guyana, and I was born there. But my mom used to hand sew a lot, and she used to mend fabric and mend her clothing. I remember, like, my school uniforms, like, she would, mend, like, rehem certain parts of it. But... I never really like thought about sewing in a way that could be invited into my art practice until recently. I think, but I do think that comes with wanting to get closer to image and how image is seen and felt. And sewing is, has this like tactile ability. I'm specifically thinking about like hand embroidery, of just like feeling and touch. I'm wanting to get even closer to like textile in a more, in a more swatch oriented way in a smaller micro version versus like a a grand, a grand weave in or I feel like a lot of the work that I do is very like big scale. And it kind of encompasses a lot of time and labor when it's collaborative or when it's singular, and I'm in the studio alone. But I love the idea of just having something like in a tote bag ready to go, you could pull it out on the bus, you know, you could like movable, you know, like not have an idle hands, Might be the best way to say that.
1: And, you know, maybe there's something in the thought that the future is small art pieces. You know, as we think about production and consumption of materials and substances and all the things that fill our landfills. Maybe the future is small art. Right. Well, you know what
0: I do? I definitely have like some form of OCD because I keep everything. I actually archive all of the remnants from my art practice. So. All of the clothing that my my family wears, like my nieces and nephews, mom, everyone in my family. So it's super generational because the clothes is being handed down one after the other. And then when my baby nephew PJ grows out of it, it no longer has anyone to go to. So I actually collect all the clothing and we cut it up and make these rugs. But even when we do cut the rug, the strips of fabric up, there's remnants. There's like little like patches that are like way too hard. In clothing to actually hand crochet. So I cut those out and I put them in Ziploc bags. And then I take those remnants and then encase them into handmade paper to then create like this sort of abstracted map. And that becomes like an index for looking at the rug because you're going to see like clothing labels or the hard. What is that? Do you know what that's called? Like the thing around the t shirt neck? There's like oh,
1: a. Um... There's a term for that, isn't there?
0: Right. There probably is. But, but I have all of those like hand cut out and that, then they're put into handmade paper. You start to understand the like logistics of, or maybe like the linguistics of like a human body and, and the shape of the figure and who the Cloden belonged to by looking at certain artifacts of Clodin. I think like there's so much power in just like having a remnant. And I do that with dust, like like the recent piece that I made. Which was a screen-printed weave, and that I cut up. But even in that process of cutting things up and hand-gluing and trying to figure out how to see the, the piece towards the end, there's all these like tape remnants or dust particles from the glue that I that I actually like keep. I don't know. Maybe there's like an obsession or a yearning to want to hold on to the memory of the making as much as it is about the process of remembering too. So you're trying to remember the memory of making, but you're also trying to remember the memory of the thing that you are making the work about. So I think memory is so interconnected to all facets of living and the way we process it just tells more and more about who we are as people, as artists, as thinkers, you know, as creative beings in the world. So yeah, I I have like this whole stack of just things that I've if a stranger were to come into my studio they'd be like that just looks like complete trash but it's so colorful and so dense it's just like this archive just
1: remnants i think that's beautiful nick and i know folks listening at home right now are like amen 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 (laughs) yeah like quilters collect all of the scraps right like you do that too Quilting is the original zero waste art form. Right, right, right Because right, it was right. the clothing leftovers a lot of times. Right, right. And the idea that we save and use our scraps is something that is a cornerstone for a lot of us in our practice. Yeah. Because, you know, in the South, we had this idea, we had this saying, you know, every pot's got to stand on its own bottom, right? Like mm, everything has to support itself in a way. Right. And for me, when it comes to quilting... There was a time when my good friend Heidi reminded me of a, a project where I talked about every quilt's got to carry its own load. I see. And it. what I mean by that, I was talking about a quilt where I took all the cut up scraps, leftovers that didn't get put into the quilt, mm-hmm. and I hid them on the back of the quilt. Oh, I love that. Right? So all them, it takes its trash with it. It keeps it yeah. all together. And if you're talking about a bed quilt, well, then you're just adding extra warmth yeah. if you're layering it in there somehow, right? Right. Yeah. So that's something I'm thinking about now, because I'm working on this this project that came to me in a dream, Nick. Get that. I've never oh, I don't wow. think this has ever happened before. It's a wall hanging. Mm-hmm. In my dream, I was told to make an elephant quilt. Mm-hmm. And so I have applicated this giant white elephant. I just kind of freeform cut it out. And I've applicated it down to this piece of fabric. And it's got me thinking a lot about how I was talking to folks on the nook is what it was. And they were kind of, we were just kind of rattling off yeah. what elephants can mean to us. Right. Know? And right. people say that they're very protective because elephant yeah. mothers, for example, will ring up to protect the young. I see. Or somebody asked me, well, in your dream, Zach, was the trunk up or down? Right. I'm like, oh, I don't remember. Right.
0: Like but up being like a form of good luck or something, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because yeah. that's how elephants greet yeah elephants they recognize and know
0: we actually have an elephant in my house at the entrance with the trunk being up yeah yeah as like a form of like good luck entering and leaving the space yeah elephants are so symbolic and beautiful and majestic it's crazy that you dream that i feel like my dreams have been so dystopian lately
1: (laughs) well you wouldn't be the only one yeah also happens right right that also happens I've been doing a lot of dream work lately because uh-huh. we just had a workshop with Allie Homan and she's a, a dream worker and she's got me doing this little dream house thing. And anyway, that's a whole separate oh, cool. story. But I'm trying to listen and honor my dream. So here I am sewing with yeah. you this, this elephant.
0: You know, I've definitely been having a lot of thoughts about dreams too, but... In a complete opposite way as it pertains to my life. Because the dreams have just been so symbolic to... well, I've just been having these crazy dreams about people in my life. Like family members and things are super normal at first. And as they perceive to be. But in the dreams, I am aware of myself and my current state of life. And I am aware of all the things that have like happened to us as a family. But then there is this really like surreal moment of image of like pregnancy just like anger or rage or like feud that just kind of come up in the dreams and then i wake up and i'm kind of like left with like half reality and then half like maybe perhaps foreshadowing or or sometimes the dreams are mimicking archetypes of like personalities in my in my life and then it'll bring out or enhance the personality itself and It's really like, (laughs) it's really like so real sometimes.
1: Yeah. What do you do with that? What do you do with that kind of a dream?
0: Well, I think it's really symbolic for me right now because I am trying to like reprocess what my artistic practice means right now. I think I was on this like long lineage of making work that was about family and Creating like these life size screen printed images of family members in super intimate moments. There's a piece called My Adrian number two, and it's an ongoing series of works that are just screen prints of my nephew cleaning a cherub. And it was a really intimate moment. And what I've been doing, I've been cutting all of the screen prints up and hand weaving them and kind of distorting the image. And when, when you hand weave, Well, weaving essentially is creating a function. You are putting warp and weft threads together to create this tactile piece of fabric, you know, that is interlocked and it's clenched together and there is this codependent relationship between the warp and the weft thread. And when you start to input image into the warp and weft thread and you cut them up and you reweave it into a pattern, you're creating function in creating a weave-in you are taking the function away from the image so i've kind of been at a point where i've been weaving all of these images that are really intimate of my family and trying to think a lot about what it means for the viewer to not understand what happened in that instance of a moment versus the weaver being able to to digest and process and the person in the image have experienced that moment the only people who can fully encompass the piece itself and really feel what that piece meant or had intention would be the weaver myself and my nephew the, the person in the work so there's this register of making work under the premise of intimacy and i do think that my work and my relationship with my family has digressed so much within the past two years. Like I no longer live in the home that I used to live in, where all the images are sourced from. And my relationship with certain people in my immediate family has, has kind of shifted, that my dreams have basically encompassed that reality. So my work has definitely taken a turn where it's no longer just about intimacy and the moment and the special intensity of love and all the characteristics that make up a family, but I think it's veering further away from that. I think it's asking me, it's kind of pointing itself back to me and saying, well, Nick, there are things that you don't necessarily talk about in your work all the way. Is there any space for redefining what it means to be in a family and what it means to make work about a family when it's not always utopian? And yeah, I think dreams or the language of dreaming and the language of of folk, folk and maybe mythology of sorts could enter into my work. I think going back into image and add in, like I was talking about earlier about sewing, like you know, add in blemishes of the past or like taking notes from an archive of my journal may sooner or later enter my work. I've also been thinking a lot about Hinduism and, like, demigods and gods with, like, multiple heads and and how you could function in multiple spaces at once. And and dreams kind of do that, where the body is stasis, but the mind isn't. I think there's so much more room for me to sit in a language of weaving that I'm really excited about, you know, like, I haven't really felt this way in a while.
1: Nick, there's so much about what you just said that I want to ask you about. (laughs) Sure.
0: Yeah, sorry, I just
1: went on the so we'll just no that was (laughs) you have nothing to apologize for. I was spellbound. Here's what I want to ask you about. I'm curious to know. So many of your pieces, you said, are life size. So you took these images, you took these photos of your family doing these daily intimate things.
0: Yeah, so they're iPhone photos. They're fleeting moments. Like my mom wiping a part of the bathtub while a part of our bathroom was being excavated. And I saw this really intimate moment of like seeing the raw structure of the home and and her cleaning it up and her being kind of like a figure in the space. So I photographed it or this night when we had a blackout, they were all kind of standing around the table and lighting this candle. And it felt like it felt like the work. It felt like this deep feeling, this the thing that sparks the images that I'm using are are moments that you cannot necessarily experience outside of a home, and that's because the structure of architecture of the home is kind of becoming the blanket for the people, and the people are an index of the space and the space is an index of them so yeah they're there are all these large scale screen prints that are life size that are really gentle and they're they're depicting my immediate family.
1: Nick, can I pause you there and say, when you say that, I believe you said the home is an index of the people.
0: Right. Yes. Could you tell us what that means? Yes. So, well, there's all this stuff inside of the home, right? There's all of these tchotchkes and a water bottle that someone just drank out of, or, you know, the tapestry in the background, or like, they're all a remnant of the people that inhibit the space. So... If you don't know how to understand the person the image you can definitely look around them to understand the headspace that they're in it's like an analog for for the body is the home and that's kind of why i decided to to large-scale screen print them so usually in the work the figures are are interwoven with the space both at once and You don't necessarily know when the figure is bending in and out of the actual space. And then the viewer either has to step further back so the pixelation of the weaving could become clearer. And when they step closer, it becomes pixelated. So you're just understanding texture and color up close. So it is this like peripheral thing of the viewer having to experience it from different angles or point of view. But yes, the home... Is this like giant umbrella for the people and they kind of bounce back and forth between each other.
1: And so why, why make them to the scale that you make them? Why make them large scale or life scale?
0: So they could be in front of you. I think ever since I was younger, like as a high schooler, I, I was making all these large drawings of my family. And I always like had this like super ambitious dream of, of one day wanting my family to come visit themselves in a gallery space or in a museum. It had a lot to do with representation and wanting this super ceremonial act of having my family come see themselves. It just felt like a, like a manifestation of like love and, and care and tenderness. And, and I I had just like always pictured that of this like spinning mirror image of my nephew standing in front of himself, you know? Or even the the act of just walking into space to come see the way in which you live and and for others to kind of cope with the reality of that. I think that's like a really beautiful moment of acknowledgement, acknowledging the body, acknowledging the presence of, of just like family and the safety of family. I think that's why they're all art scale. So when the viewer stands in front of them, you are mirroring your body and you are understanding them through how you are feeling you know the image is telling you that the colors are neutral there's a moment of darkness in the background and this person is in front of you and then you're using your body to veer through space and you're using your body to to look at them and they're in front of you they're there and i think scale Having them be life size is really, really important because it's also about immigration and it's about it's about identification and clarity and I think there's this visceral undertone of of when things are screen printed they're they're printed in dot pattern right so there's all these little stipples that make up a human body and and space, and there's this identification marker that goes in and out as an undertone of the work, and I think having You know, the language of like, under the table, we can't speak about it, but having it be super present is kind of ironic and a little funny, but maybe it's an inside joke for like me when I'm older, much older, and I look back on all the work and realize that that it was about representation and about the presence of the immigrant in academic white cube space.
1: Can you tell us about a time when your family has come to the gallery and saw themselves represented on the wall?
0: Yeah, so I recently graduated from Cooper Union, and back in October, I was allowed to have my senior show with a dear friend, Raffaella Fontanelli, and her work, it was really in sync with my work, and she was making a lot of work about the objects that surrounded a home, and I was making a lot of work about the people that encompassed the home, and it felt like a a beautiful moment of finding family in, in the safety of friends and artists, And she's Peruvian and Brazilian and her grandma lives in Peru. So during the pandemic, she stayed with her because she's much older and she cleans with limes around the home. So she would take the lime and rub the object and kind of bring it to a state of like cleanliness. So Rafa brought the limes back to America and casted them in bronze and put them through this whole process of memorializing this this ceremonial act of cleaning and how the body touched the object. So then her work was kind of laid elegantly throughout the gallery while images of my family were hung up in the space. And my mom and aunt and niece and nephew all came and saw themselves in the gallery. And I think that was like a moment that I have waited for so long in thinking about my work, I always thought about that end point of like, them being there and looking at it. And it was really emotional because I had all this like built up energy around it. And then when it happened, I knew exactly like how it would feel. It was this feeling of just like, I don't think it was accomplishment. I think it was just like, yeah, okay, good. Like, that's what I'm meant to do in my lifetime as an artist is, is kind of like bring my family into spaces that they're not necessarily allowed into, or like, maybe they would have never been invited. Yeah, it really felt right.
1: What was your family's response when they saw your work?
0: I think their response was very, I don't know, my family, my family does this thing, where they automatically accept certain variables, like, they don't question why I'm making a weaving of them or making a large scale screen print of them. They kind of just kind of accepted. So when they came to the gallery, they were like, yeah, nice. <laughs> Looks great. <laughs> I think they were really proud of me. It also just felt like it was just like an inherent thing that they knew that was going to happen. And and when it happened, they, they had already kind of registered that, you know, Uncle Nick makes work about us or he's kind of like, documenting us as we grow up they're so used to it when an iphone is in front of them they're not really like they don't get camera shy or or anything like that
1: and that's one of the things that i find really compelling about your work is that like for example if, if someone's looking at your instagram feed they're going to see images of your work of your weavens yeah. and stuff but they're also going to see some of these iphone photos right, right. <laughs> documenting these moments right and right. the photos themselves are really beautiful and compelling images. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I think the photos are are
0: so direct, you know? They're so fast, and, and they're really capturing like a like a fleeting moment. And I think that's, that's when photography has so much power, when it's, when it's able to just snap, and it's in between past, present, and future, and you're able to just like hold on to this one moment that you can't do in drawing, you can't do in painting, you have to take an image first, or you have to work from memory. So taking the iPhone photo really empowers me to move at a quickness that I experience the images at. And I also think it's about archiving. It's about archiving the images of the people that don't necessarily see them see themselves like that every day. You know, they're, my mom's not looking at an image of herself cooking every day when she thinks about the retrospect of her life in mundanity. I think she's thinking about you know, the milestones that she's hit. I think when you put those types of images in front of them, they could fully understand, them and the viewer could understand that there is, there is like beauty and mundanity and there is tenderness in it. And there is acknowledgement of work and power in being able to be in America and to encompass space and live in, in, in a way of being able to make choices. and And I think the images are just like a depiction of that, of that mundanity and that sometimes happiness or sadness or satirical undertone of of just moving slowly through space.
1: Why put your work on the ground?
0: Well, I think it's a budget thing. Like, if I'm being completely honest with you, it would be so beautiful to get custom made pedestals that are creating I'm actually like really obsessed with like Donald Judd and super minimal minimal approach to like formalism like I had a professor when I was at Cooper as a freshman who really like pushed this idea that so much could be said in so little and I think like all the actions that you choose to do when you make a piece has to be heavily you know thought of even when it's dealing with the autobiography of life and just like the anecdotes of life like and I think when something is meant to be on the ground When it touches the ground, it perhaps tells the viewer, maybe you could step on it. And when it sits on a little pedestal that comes up about an inch or two, it tells the viewer, hey, stop here, but look at me. I don't think I'm there yet as an artist where I could get a a custom-made pedestal that captures all the little angles and miter cuts and joineries that, that I would honestly love for like a rug. And I do think... like. The choice in putting it on the ground right now will be a part of the language later on in me saying, "Hey, one day, like one day in the past it was on the ground, and maybe now it'll be on a pedestal, but the choice and empowerment of being able to do that at a larger scale is something that continues to inspire me, I think, maybe just like having options, but yeah, like art installation is. For my work, I think maybe like a quarter of the work itself, just toying and flirting with like minimalism and using the language of the white cube as a tool and not necessarily as my only form of installation.
1: You put your screen printed weavings on the ground, but you also had a rug, a crocheted rug that you made with your mom. Right. And a rug naturally goes on the ground. Right. So were you already putting your screen prints on the floor at that point in time or is that something that came about thinking about this piece are
0: you talking about the swimming pool that's on the ground yeah oh i see i see i think it's just about like the way in which i want the viewer to be positioned i think as an artist you have ultimate control in the way in which the work sits in architecture and the way and the way in which the body interacts with architecture along with the piece it's totally up to you you know like you can you can have all of those choices. They're up for grabs. And my choice in making this frame for a weaving of a swimming pool was strictly for the viewer to look into the pool at my nephews and little cousins kind of creating this whirlpool. So I want to position the viewer into the work, sometimes onto the work, sometimes with the work. So when it's with the work, it's standing up and it's It's hanging as a free form and together they become one. And then sometimes it's about hierarchy and I want the viewer to be standing above it and kind of interacting with this moment of tightly knotted labor. So there's a lot of logistics that go into the poetry of how things are presented. And I think using the language of white cube and gallery and museum installation is important in consideration in considering how things are Talked about. I also think it plays with illusion. Like I'm working a lot with weaving, so when something is woven, it creates pattern. It creates moire. So the way in which the viewer looks at the moire, or gets the illusion of the moire, has to do with the way it's presented. So I think that's why that's why certain things go lower or further up. Yeah, kind of just like flirting with minimalism and and having this constant love affair with it at the end of it all you know because the work is so intricate and and it's so anecdotal and it's so flowery and and stippled and dense that when you make a move where you kind of hug it all and clench it all together and you you put it in a structure that can hold it the viewer could really really stifle and or sometimes breathe with it in the space that you choose to put it in the amount of space you give it You could be in this giant gallery, but only want to take up four foot by four foot in a corner, and then you create an altar out of that. Or you put the rug on the ground, and it's ceremonial, and it's asking the viewer to look, but to not step. There's so much room for play and excitement in just installing work.
1: So, Nick, at the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned that you are sensing a shift, a change in your relationship with your family, and family has formed such a large... Foundation, a large basis for your work. Right. I'm wondering if we could explore, if you could share just a little bit sure. more about yeah. where you see your work going moving forward.
0: Well, I'm now realizing this. I've spent so much time making work about people in my family that I've spent so much time with them personally in my studio that I don't actually experience that time in real life with them. So when you have that shift in relationship where I have created this alter reality with the person in my own element, it becomes obsessive. You know, there's this fixation on image and intimacy and and touch and love and sometimes anger or whatever, whatever spectrum of emotion comes up. They don't experience that with me. And creating this alter reality, being an artist has essentially created this alter reality of having a completely different relationship to the source of my work. I'm kind of learning how to cope with that at this point in my practice and wanting to understand how I can mend or grow those relationships and how I can veer veer into a more natural element of talking about how that has come to be, like this feeling of, of distance and such close work and making work that's so compulsive and intricate. They take months, like the woven work takes Months to really make, so you're taking this moment that's fleeting and it and it's going on and on and on, you know like that photograph happened in a split second, and then you're taking that photograph and expanding it out to like six months. You're living with that person in a different way, and you're understanding their body and how they how they move and how they gesture and how they sit and where the space in which they are in looks, and you're really meditating with that moment for a long time. And they're not doing that with you. You know, it's a singular path. And it brings to light being an artist, making work about family. And I think that there is now this complete shift in in the way in which I want to depict that feeling of distance. And I, I want to invite in embellishments of the past or like remnants of, of the past by maybe hand embroidering or screen printing over an image or... Quilton, like like cutting a part of the image out and creating a void. I think there's more room for playing in textile and the language that Quilton uses and bringing it back to family and bringing it back to talking about love or voids, or you know you could do that through through cutting just like a blank color swatch and cutting a hole into something or literally cutting a hole into something or, or taking a sewing machine and rendering over a screen print and just rendering and stippling with the machine threads of color in it, you know, like imbuking life into the image. I think there's a lot of room for growing in this, this moment of acknowledging this codependent relationship that I have to my source, but the lack of response and this alter life, of living with my family in such a different way.
1: Well, I also find myself thinking about the project where you, you made a rug with your mother. Right. In that project, you were spending real time with your mother. Right. While working. Is there a way? Do you see a way? Do you see yourself in the future incorporating your family as part of the artist?
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of it has to do with, with the ethics of just daily life. My mom now has a full-time job where she actually lives at her job place. It's a live-in job where she takes care of like a an old senior. So there is no longer that immediacy of coming home to her and being able to talk about collaborations so often. I think I want to become a little bit more conceptual about the way in which I handle that because so much work goes into those collaborations that I think funding is super important and maybe perhaps getting grant money to allocate for the labor in which... You know, I've kind of been accepting my mom as an artist because she's a colorist, naturally. I talk to her about all the colors, you know, like give me color advice, like what works there? Or like if we're working on a rug together, like what line of crocheting should be what color, like what comes next? So in acknowledging that she naturally is, you know, a crafter and an artist, I want her to become compensated for that. And that goes outside of the meat. Like I am the facilitator and she is the artist at this point. And I've started to give her ultimate credit in the way in which I I label the work or when it's in the gallery, like who the artist is. So I I would want funding to be allocated to her.
1: Well, Nick, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, your work revolves around the value of the people in your family, the value of their time, the value of their presence. Right. And in this country, in this culture, part of value, like, we got to put a dollar on it. And people deserve to be paid for their time.
0: Right. I also think it's ethical. Yeah. Yeah. I think ethics is, like, a big part of, of labor, you know, and talking about documentation and undocumented and immigrant labor, essentially, you know? Like, how, as an artist who has experience, like, working in a restaurant amongst undocumented workers like how how do you naturally like ethically source the makers within your work and even if it is my family and and we love each other and they are helping me as an artist I do think that it's not ethical to just like have them you know be laboring over this crochet project or this large weave and that goes in a gallery and you know like I think funding I think funding is such an important part of where I'm at as an artist or making work to then fund later work, I think once I navigate myself into more spaces or opportunities in which funding is allocated for bigger projects that are more long term, definitely will be including my family into those collaborations It's so funny how like the reality of like making the reality of like life it really affects the way in which you make like the reality at one point, my work was only made in sections but the reality of it was that I had a table that was that size so I only made work that was like as big as the table and then I would mend the parts together and the same thing goes with money like the reality of it is that my mom works a full-time job and she isn't there every day so the despondency within time and space and people and money is so embedded in the way in which things are presented and made and the timeline of the work Like a lot of the work spans from like 2018 to present and it's ongoing and it's all affected by the reality of the hardship of life or making or of working or meeting daily necessity. You know, like survival is the most important thing and making art is a luxury and it's a privilege and finding space to do that and to, you know, to pedestal that is really important.
1: Do you have a dream project?
0: Yes. (laughs) I do. So I'm currently working on a series where I'm still, you know, weaving all these images of the people in my life. But like I said, I've been collecting all the remnants. A few years back, I made this 11 foot screen print of everyone in my family at a birthday party standing in front of a table. It was my aunt's birthday. And it's just like this large screen print of my family standing in front of like this crazy celebratory table and what I've been doing is collecting all the remnants of the weavens of each individual person that I'm weaving right now. So what I want to do is I want to take all of those remnants and then create this large, like super large weave-in of each person individually woven in front of the table. So I would like cut out each person from the image and use the remnant of the weave the other weave-ins to put into that weave-in. So it's like the remnants of that, of that human body of, of the DNA makeup of the work gets re-embedded into the person, into the pictorial presentation of them. But that's going to take maybe like two years, you know, and I really hope, I really hope at that point I am getting more help and hands on the work because I do think that like, I don't want to be like a lonely artist, you know, in a white cube, (laughs) like I currently am. Like I do want, I do want out, I want to outsource my work and I want, I want to, get help and i want other hands to touch it because it's about tactility and it's about understanding tactility through touch and process and also i I learned so much in each piece through just like making through touch so yeah it would be like this like last supper-esque image of my family all standing in front of this grandiose table that's woven so intricately that you step far back and you just look at this like Almost last supper like image, but it's a manifestation of like the work that was made and the work that is being made. It's kind of like the ribbon at the end of it all when the whole series is done,
1: and then I can move on to like God knows what. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody, Nick, will fund that project. Yeah. That's a beautiful idea. Thank you so much. Yeah, the money is out there and it's <laughs> right. coming your way. Thank you. I 100% believe that. Yeah. You've mentioned a few times in our conversation, the idea of using a white cube gallery as a tool. And I'm wondering where, is that where you ideally see your work positioned moving forward? Is that where you want to be showing your work? How do you see that?
0: I always thought that I would be a gallery artist. And I'm kind of shifting gears in the way in which I, I think a lot of academia and conversation around the work, kind of becomes flattened when the work goes into a gallery. All of the metaphors and aspects of the work itself is removed, you know? The daily life of the work in the studio or inside of the home of domesticity is removed, and things become clean. And I love that. I absolutely love that. I love the way it photographs, and I love the mode of presentation. But with that being said, I also love the conversations that come out of making, And like even talking to you right now is such a privilege, you know, because I feel like the people who are going to be listening to this could really understand who I am as an artist and as a thinker and maker, you know, and and maybe when you walk through a gallery, that moment just passed. You could spend six months on a piece and someone could just like look at it and walk away. And I think I want to like re-examine how that's viewed. And I think conversations with other artists, looking at my work as like an academic read in, so maybe doing talks in universities is a different way of presentation, you know, thinking about modes of presentation. Community outreach is my next thing. I want to give back. I have been having this deep urge to want to sell work and just donate the money like just i i've just been wanting to promote my work in a way in which it's so interconnected to the state to the source of it like if i am talking about immigrant life and safety and just like sustainability then my work should also be an exemplification of that like when you google my name those words should come up you know so i i am trying to reexamine what a fruitful art practice is for me, because when I, when I did have experiences in a gallery, I realized that no one from the source of my work was there except for my family. And there was like a, a different classist point of view that was examined in the work. And I loved it. I enjoyed it. But I also think it's equally important to not just grow and forget the source. I think the source is what fed me to begin with. And I need to re empower the source. So I'm stepping back a little bit from that. I think writing is super important for me. I think talking about just like the mundanity of of everyday living through making and through experiences with people and my relationships with them and my obsession with them is another way. I think using words is a really quick way, just like taking a photograph, writing a poem. I always take the bus home every single day and. Something you don't know about me is that I listen to, like, heavy, intense glitch-like music. Um, (laughs) And it really affects the work. I do think that the work is human glitches. It is, you know, it is body dysmorphia. And it is the interaction of the human body, neither here or there. And that is coherent with the immigrant archetype. And I think, like, when I'm on the bus every day... I get really emotional. Like I just get emotional. I see people that remind me of other people, and I, I write little phrases in my note my notes app on my phone. I also am starting this new series of work where they're all commemorations and they're all like dedications. So each title would be like for so and so, and then it would be a line about that person. So maybe reinventing how I title works is another intimate way of talking about it. Like, thinking about just, like, the work is, like, dedications to to the people. So, yeah, right into.
1: I'm wondering if you would ever consider having an art show in a domestic space. Yes. How does that hit you?
0: Well, (laughs) that's really good, actually, because, well, I haven't gotten all the way to, like, domestic in, like, a raw and vulgar way. But because it's still connected to the source of the work, but yeah, maybe maybe it could go even one step closer, and maybe it could be like just like a house. I never even thought of that. <laughs> that would be so interesting. It seems like a
1: natural fit. Yeah,
0: yeah, it would be. I also love the idea of like like rusted like floors, like worn floors, interacting with handwoven art, handwoven textile work, and like the light from a window draping onto a textile piece you know sometimes those opportunities are missed when you enter a gallery you're or or you know like when people have have lived in the space for so long and they they interact with a doorknob a certain way and it's all like like messed up or they hit the door and, and there's this part of the floor that's jagged and there's all these like missed opportunities when you enter a gallery because everything becomes so sterile but there is space in mundanity and domestic life that i also would love would love to consider
1: so nick i hate to say it but we should probably start wrapping up <laughs> great how's your how's your hand sewing project coming along over there so i'm actually more interested in the back in the back of like
0: the actual like patchwork but it looks pretty good i mean i honestly would consider doing something like this in future work like yeah there's like this freedom to directness you know That isn't so laborious in process.
1: That you don't need a machine. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And also like the hand, right? I think I need to like learn how to like trust. I've been telling myself lately, every single time I do something and I don't like the way I do it, to re-acknowledge that I did it and it was my body that did it. And to tell myself like, hey, like there's more opportunity to do things like that again, but that was your first try and don't be so hard on yourself. I'm so hard on myself as much as I am like a tactile artist Like if I don't do something up to my standard, I get so tough on myself, but I'm, I'm trying to like reevaluate the language in which I use with my own self and appreciate my want to continue to make. So like, yeah, I I think like hand sewing would be a great thing for me to start doing.
1: One little trick for you that if it works for you, you're welcome to use it. I don't know if you have like a nickname that your family would call you when you're growing up, Uh but one of my nicknames was just my full name, Zachary. But I say it's like a nickname because no one really called me that very often. Uh-huh. But when I feel like I've messed up or I'm having a hard time, I just say, Zachary, it's okay. Yeah. Zachary, you're doing just fine. Like I tr- I talk to that, that child, that inner child of right. myself. And that seems to help. I
0: love that. I think like self-love has really become like a, a big part. I've spent so long and so much time in undergrad just like working, 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 like just working so hard. Because I had a, a part-time server job, and and then I also had you know so many things going on a, as a student, and I was managing like at one point twenty credits a semester, and I was just so tough on myself, and I'm now trying to learn what, a s like a stable, healthy, sustainable artistic practice means for myself, and sometimes it's about cleaning. It's just about coming in to like just clean my studio, or it's about just coming into my studio, walking in looking around, seeing where everything's at, and then mentally preparing to come in the next day. It's not even about touching anything. It's just about, okay, things are there. This is where I'm at with that. Like, just calling inventory is enough. Like, sometimes, like, doing the bare minimum or just, like, doing something is enough than just not doing anything at all.
1: One stitch at a time. Exactly. Nick, I think we're going to leave folks with that pearl of wisdom. Thank you so much for spending this last hour with us.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure.
1: If you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did, I'm wondering if you'll rate and review this show so other people can find Seamside and learn more about the inner work of fabric. I'd really appreciate it. And you might also be interested in checking out the zine that I make after these conversations. I sit and ruminate and reflect about different things that came up, Put them into this cute little printable foldable zine. You can stick it in your back pocket and take it anywhere. So there's a link for that in the show notes if you like. And as always, thank you for listening. I appreciate your time. You know we'll be sitting and sewing again before too long here on Seamside. Take care. Sew something good.